Hello and welcome to the Garden Church Podcast. My name's Darren and I'm here with Faith. Hi. Pastor Faith. And we will get to the sermon in just a little bit, but we wanted to make some time and space to talk about something special that we've been having on Sundays. And it's a new song that Pastor Faith, you and your husband, Josh, wrote, and we've shared it with our community. Tell us a little bit about it. What's the name of it? Yeah. And where did it come from? Yeah, so it's called We Need You. Um, and I, I'm going to root this in 1 Corinthians 2 when Paul says, My message and my preaching were not with wise and persuasive words, but with a demonstration of the Spirit's power, so that your faith might not rest on human wisdom, but on God's power. Um, the, the first thing that was written for this song was the beginning of that bridge section that says, We don't need better plans. We don't need clever thoughts. We need your Spirit, O oh God. We don't want the wisdom of man. We want we want a display of God's power, which is really what the world needs. They don't need to see a show, or even in the area of worship, they don't need to hear good music. They need to see a display of the power of God. So it came from that heart cry. And then the beginning of the song kind of sets up this space where we invite Holy Spirit, we open our hearts, we clear out all the distractions, the things that get in the way and then just simply cry out for more of Him. And it's this this longing to be a, a space where the Spirit would rest mm-hmm. as a community. Yeah, I love that. That's such a the heart and core value of Garden Church. Exactly. Knowing that the Spirit is present, like He's welcome to the party and we get to celebrate. And I so appreciate the beauty and creativity that you've been cultivating, not only with worship, but just something that we can invite the rest of our community into. And, and it's so cool when, when uh, in the recording of this song, it's the first time that we shared it. And it's like people have been singing it for weeks. <laughs> and it was just such a cool thing to experience. And so we're so happy for those of you that have experienced that with us on a Sunday morning. And we want to see just more original songs being birthed from this place um, that you're talking about, just being saturated in the Holy Spirit. So we are welcoming you to stick around after the sermon where you can hear a live recording of the song, We Need You, and I hope it blesses your heart. friends, welcome to Garden Church Podcast. This is a series called Jesus People. We are looking at who Jesus is and how we become more like Him. Jesus People are God's strategy for transforming the world. We hope you enjoy this podcast. For more information, go to garden.church. Today, um, we have Mike Erie with us. Mike, we're so glad you're Oh. Some of you know who yep. he is. I, I, I need to introduce you. I know you don't want to be applauded, but yeah. I'm here uh, with Thank you. Thank you for folding. I folded the, so the nice. towel. It's so good. Yeah. It's so good. It's a sweat towel. Let's put it right here. here. Yeah. Whatever you yeah, yeah, yeah. today. Yeah. Um, okay, guys. So I came back to faith and started attending this church when I was 19 called Rock Harbor. It was shortly, shortly after um, Mike became the teaching pastor there. And when I tell my story, it's basically like, coming up in a faith that I had to relearn who Jesus was. And I relearned who Jesus was, the kingdom of God, and fell in love with the scriptures under this man's teaching. And so when you, when I would, what I would say is there are two people that taught me how to preach, Bill Doctorum, who preaches yeah. here, yeah. and Mike Erie. So these, these men have been important, but Mike has been a dear friend throughout the years. So he was part of the church that sent us out. And so many of our leaders, we have so many people here 
so many being like, there were like 12 of us. They're still here <laughs> that were sent out of Rock Harbor and they're still part of our church almost 15 years later from that sending. And they were, they were telling Mike earlier, um, the, the teaching and the, the vision that Rock Harbor to send people out was part of that kind of catalyst to send them out. So we are in very much a fruit of this man's ministry. I want you to know that. We're, I, I'm so grateful. My wife and I, met we were dating under the teaching that changed our lives like it really we look back to those she's nodding like those early years that just formed us in jesus and like so for me it's it's so great to have him here um and i'm so grateful for you as a man mike i mean so that's that's my personal he, he leads as a teaching pastor in a church in what some would call the new orange county in tennessee yeah. and um so true <laughs> so true uh, he, he's written so several people. books. He's on podcast called oh. Boxology, but he's here to continue our series and he's just been a good friend. I do want to say one more thing. Yes. I remember planning this church and having like no idea how to teach. I really didn't like, <laughs> I, I like leading series as a 20 something, like having only preached for Bill's classes. Like that's truly at Vanguard. When I started as a lead pastor, <laughs> my only teaching experience oh. was in Pastor Bill's classes at Vanguard for grades. And then I had to become a teaching pastor and a lead pastor. And I would go and hang out with Mike. And he was like, he would always tell me, bring a hard drive, I'll drop all of my notes. And he did. So most of the early years and still to this day, like I've, I've just stolen everything from Mike Erie's laptop. <laughs> oh, hallelujah. So Jesus, thank you for this man. Thank you. Thank you for the grace of him being here in our congregation. Um, totally. The fruit that's, that's here because of this man's teaching. I pray that as he preaches, that he would have joy and that we would be good soil. And we just love you, God, and we, we thank you for this man. Amen. Amen. All right, have thank fun. Thank you. Uh, it's so kind of you. Hi, everybody. It's great to be with you. There's this great um, line in a really bad movie where Luke Skywalker, the second, the sequels. Yeah, yep, we're going there. Um, he and Yoda, they're burning the Jedi tree and they're talking about Rey and the new order of Jedi. And they have this line where they, they're kind of speaking as their time has passed and the future of the Jedi order, you know, is in different hands. And he says, um, he says, they are, or excuse me, we are what they grow beyond. And that's very much the feeling I get just being here. Just, I mean, we could never have dreamt. And, and it's so, you know, it's so rare in a platform chasing, celebrity driven pastoral world to find a couple of people who simply say, we're here and we're not going anywhere through all of the ups and the downs of that. And so it, it is, it's just great joy. It's deeply moving um, to see some familiar faces, but then to just see a whole host of people who are like, when's Darren get back up to teach? Because I mean, I can't wait for that. Well, some of us are here for this and, and, and others just got stuck with it, which is totally fine. Um, so it's just, it's amazing and I'm so proud. Um, and from far away, just couldn't, we couldn't have imagined how beautiful this is. So um, today I wanna to talk a little bit about the Bible. And talking about the Bible is such a mixed bag because we all know it's good for us and yet the experience, it's like kale. It's like a kale smoothie sounds fun in theory. Um, 
till you put cheese on it or something, and then maybe, you know, I can tell everybody. But it's like, we know, like the Bible is this very, it's the most well-known book that no one ever reads. You know, it's like this, it's this thing that we know that's so good for us and necessary. And, and Dara just preached his guts out last week, reminding us of why this is so important. But for many of us, it's actually a source of difficulty and almost an obstacle to our faith when we read some of the things that are in there. And so I, I want to talk a little bit about the difference between reading the Bible for information versus reading the Bible for formation, to be formed into a certain kind of person. Because I think a lot of us, at least, I, at least for me, I, when, when somebody says they believe the Bible, I never know what I'm going to get next. <laughs> sometimes, sometimes when somebody says, oh, yeah, the Bible's really clear on this, and then they launch into something really ugly, versus people who are immersed in the text and, and they just feel so different. They, they have this Jesus sort of texture to them. So this, this dynamic of information versus formation is really captured in one of the most famous Psalms, Psalm chapter one. And I just wanna open with it and then talk a, a bit about the, the symbolism of it. Blessed is the one who does not walk in step with the wicked or stand in the way that sinners take, or sit in the company of mockers, but whose delight is in the law of the Lord, and who meditates on his law day and night. That person is like a tree planted by streams of water, which yields its fruit in season, and whose leaf does not wither. Whatever they do prospers, not so the wicked, they are like chaff. Chaff is um, the way you separate uh, like a kernel of wheat from the housing or the husk of the wheat. So you throw it up in the air, the heavy kernel falls down and the, the chaff, the husk, it's blown away. So it's a perfect image. Not so the wicked, they're like chaff that the wind blows away. Therefore the wicked will not stand in the judgment nor sinners in the assembly of the righteous. For the Lord watches over the way of the righteous, but the way of the wicked leads to destruction. And, and it's almost this picture of two ways of being human. There's a, a path that leads to ruin. There's a path that leads, and this is a very, of course, biblical image, a path that leads to life and flourishing. And what's interesting is that, that there's, this, uh, there's a little bit of development in the psalm. Like the, the one way of living that characterizes ruin, it's, it's characterized by these verbs of like walking, go ahead if you would, and standing, and then sitting, it kind of goes from movement to being stuck. You know what I mean? It's like planting yourself on a path. You initially say yes to the path, doesn't seem that bad, but over time you kind of get calcified and fossilized and you harden into a certain kind of person that you never intended when you initially set foot that direction. And the opposite opportunity also presents itself. Instead of being like uh, chaff and blown into the wind, there's this image of a, a fruitful tree. It's a totally Eden image. It's next to streams of water, bearing fruit in season. Its leaf never withers, right? It's almost like being a tree of life for self and others. And the difference between the two paths, according to this psalm, is that the, the one who's chosen to plant themselves in the way of life that leads to prospering meditates on the law. Now, the word law here, as many of you know, doesn't mean the rules and the regulations, it means Torah. 
Torah was seen by the ancient Jews as a gift. They didn't live under the, the guilty turmoil of legalistic law. They saw Torah as gift. They delighted in it. They chewed on it. They meditated on it because it represented the basis under which Yahweh could dwell in their midst, the only people whose God dwelt among them. And so to meditate on Torah, the word meditate is really this interesting word. It, it's a word, have you ever been around somebody who's really enjoying their food? And they're doing it sort of non-verbally. They're just like, mmm. Yeah, have you ever been? That's the verb here. It's used of a bear chewing its food and enjoying its food. So meditating here is the idea that I'm chewing on it. I'm like, I'm ingesting it. I'm, um, I'm repeating it to myself so that it becomes a part of me. And the result of that is this very fruitful life. And so it, it is, it's just a, a very simple picture of reading the, the text in a way that forms us into something beautiful versus some other way of living. Now, for some of us, if we're really honest, that's not the way we encounter the Bible, correct? Delight isn't the word that we use when we talk about the Bible, right? At, at neutrally, it's, it's confusing and it's weird and it doesn't make sense. But more negatively, a lot of us have had verses thrown at us, and it's, instead of bringing life, it's brought condemnation, it's brought death, it's brought division. When student loan forgiveness became a thing in our culture, um, Twitter, now X, um, lit up with Bible verses being thrown back and forth, right? Yes, Jubilee, it's the year of Jubilee, release the loans. <laughs> And then all the people were, no, no, no. And the New Testament says each one must carry their own load. And it was, and all of a sudden you're just in the middle of the Bible war. And, and, and that has been my experience of this text, that the more polarized and alienated we are, the more the Bible gets employed in a, in a, in a Torah of death instead of a Torah of life. And so we want, I, I just want to spend like a little bit of time this morning contemplating how it is that we can read the text in a way that brings life. And, and, and even, even in the parts we don't always understand or the parts that maybe aren't so clear and really disturb us. So I wanna acknowledge in the room that for some, the Bible's actually an obstacle to faith. For others of us, it's a great source of comfort and inspiration and truth. And for some of us, kind of we're in the middle. So let's ask the question, how, how does God use the text to form us not into people who are um, employing it for nefarious purposes, but for people who stand like trees planted near streams of water. Oh, I'm sorry, this is my daughter. Hey, Hannah, I'm preaching. I love you. I'm in California. <laughs> All right. She's in college. She doesn't know. She's totally in her own world. It's fantastic. And it's two hours ahead, so she thought she was safe. Um, but I'm going to answer every time. Now, let's talk. Oh, yes. Oh, yes. Oh, it's Hannah. Now, um, <laughs> I want to talk briefly about what spiritual formation is in general before we talk about how to read the Bible in a way that forms us well. So spiritual formation is a way that Christians talk about the process by which we grow into being like Jesus. 
right? So when we read about love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, faithfulness, self-control, that's the character of Jesus. That's his Enneagram profile. That's his, like, that is what he is like. And the work of the Spirit in our in us individually, but in communally, is to birth that sort of reality between each other. Because notice, all of those things are social. None of those things are feelings by myself. Those are all things that manifest in community. So the work of the Spirit in spiritual discipline always manifests in community. We'll talk about more about that in a second. But let's talk about what spiritual formation is. How do we become like Jesus? Formation is not, three things real quick, it's not magic. It's not, hey, God, take this desire away from me that's a normal human desire. God's never gonna say yes to that, right? So many of us have been hurt and angry because I have a desire that is a normal human desire. Say, God, take it away. God says, nope, you're human. And I won't turn you into something else. And then we're like, yeah, but, right? Uh, Spiritual formation isn't passive. It's not let go and let God. It's not, God, please zap me so that I never struggle with this anymore. Sometimes he might do that, but that's not how we're formed normally. Formation is a process over time. It's not something that happens magically. I remember I had a a boss who just read the Bible over his infants, and he's like, well, it's the Bible, and they have ears, so maybe this will do something. And, And great, maybe it does, but that's kind of a magic view. It's like we're passive, and we're just waiting on God to do the work. And if there's one thing the Bible repeats over and over is God will not do the work without the humans that he made in his image. He's always wanting partnership and participation. So formation isn't magic. It doesn't happen by accident. Nor is it a reward. So reading the Bible isn't a reward for good behavior or being blessed. So I was was told that, listen, have a quiet time every day. That's your time with God. And God will bless you as a result of that. But notice, I was reading the Bible in order to be blessed. It wasn't the Bible itself or the person I was becoming that was the blessing. It was some other thing that was promised. And so for me, engaging the Bible was a way of paying off God. You tell me this is good for me, I'll do it, and then you'll bless me. And I made all sorts of deals with God like this. Like, like if I pray for my kids, they'll turn out perfectly. Or if I'm pure before marriage, marriage will be amazing afterwards, right? Or uh, if I give money, God, you will give money to me and take care of me. And all of that, I realized, uh, all of that isn't faith in God. That's faith in a contract. That's faith in my part of it. And so spiritual formation isn't something we do to get blessed. It's so, it's spiritual formation is a way of becoming a different kind of person. And that is blessing. It's also not just straight willpower. And, and, and this is my go-to. If, if I'm struggling with something, I just want to try harder. I want to work on it. I, I want to, um, and then I, I, you know, it's the constant like cycle of sin, shame, promise to do better, not do better, and over and over and over. So if formation is none of those things, what is it? And this is just, this is just a Mike Erie thought. This isn't like in the Bible or anything, but from the Bible, I think it's something like this. Next. Formation is relational participation with the text, the community, and the spirit. And so, and I just want to talk real briefly. We're going to apply this to the Bible in a second, but I want to just talk. I think this is so important to understand. First of all, it's relational. You and I are made for attachment. We are made uh, relational beings, right? We're made in the image of a triune God, a God who is in himself a community. 
And so absolutely we are made to have people attuned to us and people to be safe and stable and for us to feel secure and for a lot of us, right? We didn't get that when we were little and so psychologists have done such great work. I'm in therapy now learning about attachment theory, right? For many of us, we just didn't find that stable, safe place. And for those of us who are parents, we realize we're not perfectly that place for our kids. And so one of the dynamics the Bible picks up on is, is using the word abide or dwell, that Christ is somehow in us and I am in Christ, and that there is some reciprocity and mutuality that is going on between me and Jesus. And that that is fleshed out in relational terms, that I can actually like, be loved by God and know that in a deeper way than just in my head. Go ahead and put that whole sentence back up if you would, my man. So it's relational and it's also participation, right? I'm learning like old people do. I'm learning to play pickleball. I didn't know this was a sport. <laughs> I know, it's hilarious. So some of you may know the name Tim Timmons. He worked at Mariners forever. He and I work at this church in Nashville and uh, we decided we wanted to play pickleball. I didn't know it was a sport. I just made fun of it. <laughs> and, um, and so we go out there and we're pretty cocky. We've played ping pong, I've played tennis, you know? And, and we meet two women, probably in their mid-70s. And they're like, yeah, we'll play you. <laughs> if you've ever seen this, they, they murdered us. I mean, they, they were taunting us. It was incredible. The problem is that I went then on Instagram and I watched all these how-to pickleball videos. Did that help? No. You actually have to go out and get beat up on by 75-year-old women in order to get better at pickleball. And what's true in pickleball is more true with the Bible. A sentence I never thought I would say. <laughs> and so the Bible will use words like walk, with this, walk, keep in step with the Spirit, and work out your salvation because God is at work within you. It's participatory. We have a part, but we don't carry the whole thing. And then it's participation with what? It's participation in the gravity well of text, spirit, and community. And, and we're talking about the text today. Great, we'll get to that in a sec. Spirit, of course, is something we really hold as a high value in this community, that the Holy Spirit is alive and active and speaking. Community is the one we struggle with as Americans. We think the Bible reading the best Bible reading happens with me and my Bible in the morning by myself asking, what does this verse mean to me? And that's actually not at all what the scriptures have in mind. These were meant to be read out loud in their entirety, heard and listened to by people who couldn't read, right, publicly. The, the goal of the Bible, if you've ever wondered, what's the goal of the Bible? It's not to make you as an individual conform to Jesus. It's to birth Jesus-like communities in the world, right? The goal of the Old Testament was to create a community called Israel that stood out from the world. The goal of the preaching of the Gospels and then the book of Acts was to form churches scattered throughout the Mediterranean world that would look like Jesus. And so we often come at this whole salvation thing with only me and Jesus in view. And I think we miss out on a lot of the life that is really life, the life that this text invites us into because we're just looking at it from my internal point of view. Take a text like, um, love your neighbor as yourself. So what's love? Um, what is love? Exactly. 
What's love got to do with it? I mean, we could go on. Um, I, love to me is an inner disposition. It's a private disposition towards somebody's welfare. That's not what it is in the Bible. In the Bible, it's, it's concrete action towards another. So when it says, love your neighbor as yourself, it's not saying, hey, accept yourself so you can accept your neighbor. It's saying, listen, you already love yourself, right? You already do, how do I know? Because when you're hungry, which I am, <laughs> what will you do? You will, you will spend money and time and energy strategizing on ways to eat and feed yourself, right? You need clothes, so what do you do? You spend and strategize time and money and energy towards clothing yourself. When you're thirsty, same thing. So what does it mean, if that's what it means to love yourself, what does it mean to love your neighbor? It means that anyone you come across who doesn't have food or clothing or water, you spend the same amount of energy and money that you would spend on yourself on them. Does that make sense? It's not an inner private thing. That's how we can love our enemies. That has nothing to do with liking them. It has nothing to do with being in relationship with them, allowing them to hurt us. Loving your enemy means when you have the opportunity to harm, you don't, and when you have the opportunity to help, you do. It has nothing to do with what's happening inside of you. So for me, and this is the part that is so new in my decades of following Jesus, I've learned, at, I've realized the point of Bible reading is to engage in the spiritual disciplines that only take place when the community is gathered. So if you want to know what the spiritual disciplines are, here's what they are. Go ahead and fire them up. All right? These are the spiritual disciplines. Yes, the next slide. Nope, nope, no, nope, no, nope, nope. You had it right there. Yes. All right, here are the spiritual disciplines. And these are the, because the spirit births a community. And the only things that our Bible reading is interested in getting us into are being kinds of people who do this. And they're all social behaviors. This has nothing to do with you knowing more stuff or us feeling more loving. So love one another 16 times, 13 times, 16. And we just talked about what that is. Be devoted to one another, honor one another, live in harmony with one another, build up one another, be like-minded towards one another. Accept one another, admonish one another, greet one another, care for one another, say, serve one another, bear one another's burdens. Next slide. Forgive one another, be patient with one another. Speak the truth in love. Be kind and compassionate to one another. Speak to one another with psalms, hymns, spiritual songs. Submit to one another. Consider others better than yourselves. Look to the interests of one another. Bear with one another, teach one another, comfort one another. Encourage one another, exhort one another, stir up one another, show hospitality to one another, employ the gifts that God's given you for the benefit of each other, clothe yourselves with the humility towards one another, pray for one another, confess your faults to one another. And my personal Bible reading is designed to get me to that place. Does that make sense? My spirituality doesn't exist in me privately, it only manifests itself in the community of God. This was so radical for me because I was always taught the goal of the Bible is to get my soul pure. And never mind the bad theology of that, the, that in Christ I am pure. But it took something that was meant to be public and communal and it made it individual and private. Does that make sense? And that's why we can have people claiming to follow Jesus and being terrible to each other and they see no 
distinction at all because they've been taught that following Jesus is only something you do in your heart. It's not something you do on the road when someone cuts you off or you do to somebody who is slow with their service or somebody who flames you on Facebook, if any of you still use such a thing. (laughs) Are you with me on this? So formation, it's not up to me, but I play a part. The goal is relational deepening so that I know God, not just know information about him, but it's at the intersection of spirit, word, and community that all of this takes place. Now, let's talk about, briefly, how then, if that's what formation is, how can we as a community be formed around the text to experience it in a way that causes us to be fruitful and firmly planted and not just blown around or mean? All right, you with me so far? You guys are awesome. All right, give us a chart. Here we go. I'm adapting this from a guy named Richard Maholland, who wrote, yeah, really, he introduced this in in, uh, very, very important ways. When we read for information, we read for breadth. We read for quantity. We read fast. And there's there's something that's good about that. I mean, there have been very important parts uh, in my own story where I've just... I've engaged in reading like the chronological Bible for the the course of a year. That's really good. But when we're reading formationally, we're reading for depth. We're not reading to get as much, through as much as possible. We're not interested in keeping a calendar or checking things off a list. We're reading and we're repeating, we're marinating, we're stewarding, we're slowing down enough that the text can disrupt us or interrupt us or dethrone me for a little bit. Do you know what I mean? It's not, we're not trying to get through it. We're not even wrestling with whether or not we fully understand it. We're just sitting there and we're chewing on it for a little bit. We're just going slow. Next. In informational reading, we seek factual knowledge. And hallelujah, I love factual knowledge. Totally. But in formation, we're looking for experiential knowledge. And the difference is massive. You know this, you, you read someone's online profile and then you meet them. <laughs> you date for months and months and months, no matter how long you date, three years into your marriage, you will say to yourself, I had no idea. <laughs> I had no idea. I knew about them, I didn't know them. Right, Job has this incredible line at the end of the book where he's like, God, I've heard of you, but now my eyes have seen you. Right? And, that, and, 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 and Christians will use language like this all the time. Like, I know it in my head, but I don't feel it in my heart. Yeah. And so the goal of the text isn't to just answer a bunch of questions that we bring to it, although it does that sometimes. Often it raises up more questions than it answers. But more appropriately, in, in formational reading, we're coming to the Bible seeking to experience the God it's talking about. Right, or the Jesus it's pointing to. Next. One of the hindrances of experiencing the text this way is that for a lot of us, and, and uh, a lot of us kind of stand over it as the authority, right? I come to the Bible fully formed with opinions about politics and economics and gender issues and sexuality and, and marriage and divorce and whatever else. And when I'm, when I'm coming to the text, I'm standing almost in judgment of it. It feels primitive, or that seems barbaric, or oh my goodness, if this is what God's really like, I want nothing to do with this. And I, I wanna pause and say that's very important. 
there's room for that. And Jesus never dissuaded anybody from, ha- from not having like doubts or wrestling with the text, absolutely. But there has to be, if we're gonna read for formation, there has to be a moment when I come under the text and receive it as it is, not, not as I want it to be. Does that make sense? Like, like um, culture war. We're, we're in the middle of an incredible culture war within Christianity, without Christianity, Republicans, Democrats, vaccines, masks, it's, it's been awesome. <laughs> and, and I'm a professional opinion haver. And, I'm, uh, and, and so I've really been wrestling with how do you engage publicly with views that you really struggle with or with Christians who hold views and you're like, I'm not sure that's a Jesus opinion. And, and so I began to go through the letters of Paul and I would notice what I would call old creation dynamics, which are things like um, rage, malice, anger, slander, gossip, insult, demonization, division. And then I would, so I would write those down in a column and notice how easy those would be. And then in a new column, I would write down new creation dynamics. And it would be things like hospitality, which means love of the other, or um, lament, which is a form of protest that's within the covenant, Um, or um, uh, love of enemy. And I would sit, and this is the hardest part for us, my friends, is letting the text like intrude on our egos. You know what I mean? Because my ego has a lot vested in the way that I live. And when you come under it and, and you just go, okay, God, I will receive it the way it's coming at me rather than the way I want it. That's a really hard thing to do. And that's one of the reasons why we have to read in community. Because no matter what, I read the text is a white, middle-aged male. In every Christian environment I've ever been in, I'm in the majority culture, always. And so when I read it, I've never read it as a persecuted person. I've never read it as somebody who's poor. I've never read it as someone who's an ethnic minority. I've never read it as someone who's been persecuted by the church. I've never read it as somebody who, whenever I stand up to teach, People don't go, well, that's, that's a woman. There's, women can't teach. Like we have women elders at a church and the stories they tell about how they've been treated, you're like, wow. And I get the theological debates and let's have them. But there's a sense in which if we're not willing to sort of sit and allow the text to interrogate us a little bit, you know? And if you're not comfortable doing this with the Old Testament, let's do it with just the words of Jesus. Just start there. Because remember, we don't trust the Bible, or at least I don't. I don't trust the Bible because I trust the Bible. I trust the Bible because I trust Christ. Like I came into Jesus thinking through this little like range of books called the Gospels. And then I was compelled by that guy. And that guy said, oh, by the way, I take this whole thing that comes before it seriously. And it's like, yeah, but Jesus, he's, why is Yahweh slaughtering people? Why, why isn't slavery outlawed? Because there's a lot of stuff in there that doesn't look like you, right? 
And those are very legitimate questions. But if I'm only approaching the text from that perspective, I'll never be formed because I'm using it now to satisfy objections that I have. Does that make sense? And we'll talk about when that's appropriate because it certainly is. And I, I do that a lot. I'm the head doubter in our church. Like I'm, I'm totally befuddled by pieces of the Bible and it drives me into, I've gotta be missing something here. Now, so the difference between standing over the text is the authority over it versus standing under it. Now people can abuse this, right? People can stand up here and say, yep, this is what the Bible says and you gotta do it. And they'll say that if you don't do it, you're not standing under the text. And they can use that as an excuse to abuse people. So we're not doing this uncritically, but when you're around people who are gentle and thoughtful and Jesus-y, there is a way, because remember, unless it looks like Jesus, it's not Christian. Doesn't matter what it calls itself. And so when we're around and in a community of, of things that seem Jesus-y, then, then it's, I think it's so appropriate to stand under the text for a while and just let it speak to me. Next, this is making sense. Um, very often I treat the text as an object. Okay, God, what is, I, I need to know what the Bible says about hell. So I'm gonna look up every verse on hell. What does the Bible say about predestination? I gotta look up every verse of predestination. Or what does the Bible say about women in ministry? Whatever. And so I'm coming to the text using it for something. And is that appropriate at times? Of course it is, right? Sometimes I, I want comfort or I want clarity or I wanna hear something from God. Absolutely. But we also forsake the idea that the Bible is there and the target of the Bible is us. If you're reading the text and you're thinking about how someone else needs to hear this, <laughs> right? Then maybe we're oriented wrongly to the text because the object of the text. So, so when people, when the, um, the American church insists that non-Christian people who never said yes to Jesus live like Jesus people, that is the Torah of death. The object of the New Testament's focus is on the church being faithful, right? That's all the one another's. It's not looking at the world going, how come you don't live like this? The Bible examines the church and says, why don't you, on the basis of your confession, live like this, right? So we approach the text realizing the target is me. It's the log in my own eye that we're dealing with. And of course there are places that we talk about and discern, I'm not saying that at all. But for many of us, myself top of the list, the Bible has become ammunition, right? And, and to be used against other people rather than something that disrupts me and the pattern, my old creation patterns of thinking and living and relating to people. A couple more. Uh, when we're reading for information, um, we are reading analytically, and I love this. I love to analyze it, and I'm looking to understand. I read the Bible to understand. I wanna understand predestination. I wanna understand hell. I wanna understand lake of fire. But there's another way to read it that's reading it receptively, which is reading it to see God rather than to understand all the things it's talking about. Like the Bible is so interesting because almost in every part of it, it's revealing something about what God is like. 
And so when we read it receptively, I'm, I'm asking the question, what, God, what is God like here? So even if I don't understand why you couldn't like wear two kinds of fabric blended together, next to that is a law that says, hey, you have to take care of poor people, so make sure you don't harvest your whole field. So I don't understand that one, but I certainly understand that God cares about poor people. Does that make sense? I'm dealing with the Bible on its terms, not on mine. And that's, so, that's hard. And then lastly, I read the Bible to solve problems. And when you read for formation, the invitation is that we cultivate curiosity. And when we come across parts that we don't like or don't understand, we give the benefit of the doubt to a 4,000 to 2,000 year old text that maybe my American 21st century individualistic consumeristic shaped mind maybe is missing something in the story. You know what I mean? So, I, so, so the, the older I get, I'm now mid thirties just like Darren. <laughs> and um, it was fascinating. I was watching last week this service and he's like, guys, I'm 39. I look younger, I know. And I, I was like, what a problem, what a problem to have. <laughs> Just a poor guy, I started, I got on my knees and I prayed for him. I was like, Lord, please heal this. Please let him, let him go bald, you know? Let him put some weight on for crying out loud, let's go. <laughs> so good, dude, so good. Oh, what were we even talking about? Oh yeah, mystery. Right, so there's a sense in which if we can come to the place where we can sit in tension and not have to know in order to stand under it, man, there's something there that's really formative. Now, if you're curious about how to do this, here's just one thing I've done and I recommend it to you if you are looking for a place to start. Print, go to Bible Gateway and print out Matthew 5, 6, and 7. It's called the Sermon on the Mount. And then delete all of the paragraph breaks, the chapter headings, and all the verse numbers, and put it in one document with no breaks. It takes about 20 minutes to read out loud. Do that two or three times a week and allow it to disrupt you. So when it, when it says, when Jesus says, you know, you've heard it said eye for an eye and tooth for a tooth. Yeah, I've heard it and I love it. Right, that's my jam, right? You send me a nasty email, you're getting one back, right? Somebody shows me their number one on the freeway, I'm gonna show them their number one back. If you don't understand that, oh, sorry. Um, but there's a sense in which when we're reading formatively, I'm being called out by the text. So what does it mean, God love my enemies? Okay, so I literally just think of enemies and I pray right then. Does that make sense? And, and it doesn't matter if you're feeling anything or if you're, what you're gonna find is that at the most inconvenient moments, those words of Jesus are gonna flash into your brain. Like I had, I had a choice between being a youth pastor and uh, taking a really lucrative, lucrative job to be a bond trader. The bond trader job paid uh, six figures, the youth pastor job played uh, paid $17,000 a year. I know, so much. And then the pastor said I had to tithe on that. I'm like, dude, I just did. But, 
But like the first time that ever happened to me, at the most inconvenient moment, I'm trying out this decision and there's just this zap from Matthew, you cannot serve both God and money. It's like, oh, and he was right. For me, I couldn't, I had to choose. And so you'll see that begin to happen. Now, whether you do anything with that is a separate issue. But this is what it talks about when we're talking about like being planted in a stream where leaves are never withering and what you're doing is prospering. And I don't mean prospering in the American sense of nothing wrong ever happening. I mean, even in the midst of wrong things happening, you're still planted. That's, that steps towards this. Are you with me so far? Okay. So here's what we want to do. We, we do think there are ways in which um, the Bible has been used, the church has been used to hurt us and to harm us. And it's a very legitimate thing to name that hurt, to lament that, to protect yourself from that. But I also think there's room for, for healing in all of that. And so one of the things Darren did last service I thought was just so powerful, and I don't want to steal your thunder, come on up. Well, I'm not doing it. <laughs> I'm not doing it. Was Darren said... Oh, man. <laughs> All right, a couple of things. Yes! What's interesting, I, I got to pray for a few people that this deeply resonated with. Um, I, I want to share a couple of thoughts. One, so many of us have been hurt by a religious system of reading the scripture that has bound us in getting it right. And we don't know how to allow the word of God to form us with joy and lightheartedness and encounter. It's almost like we see the scriptures and we got, we're triggered by a pain from our past versus seeing the scriptures and opening us up to wonder and mystery of a loving God who wants to bring joy and freedom and truth. That's one. The second is so many of us have now, because of culture and lots of things, um, have experienced... Um, a sort of shaming around the word of God in that we don't think we have what it takes to know the scriptures. And so we talk about studying the word last week and we count ourselves out because it's too complex, it's too hard. And I was reading the scriptures this week about how one of the things that you see in Luke chapter 24 is the Holy Spirit opens the apostles' minds to understand the scriptures. How amazing is that? We talked about this last week, that Jesus walking along the road to Emmaus, um, he opens up from Moses and the law, the law of Moses in the scriptures to talk about how all of the scripture pointed to him. And so that we can't dismiss the role of scripture in how it leads to encounter in Jesus, how it leads to life in the kingdom, and God wants to empower you to understand his word. And that, that is something where you submit yourself and say, Holy Spirit, I'm open to you. Help me have personal revelation around the word. Let it form my soul. Um, and I believe the Lord wants to do that in this community for this time. I was sitting there taking notes, Mike, just this service, and it hit me. That word meditate, 
now I'm teaching, sorry. I'm just so fascinated by what he said because I think that word meditate, Psalm 1, that idea of growling, um, that idea of, of going over the word of God, letting it be inside of you, letting it get into the cellular level of your soul. The opposite of that is mindless scrolling. Right? The opposite of this idea of like a going deep is what we do in culture, it's cultural formation versus biblical formation. Come on. Let's go. I don't even know. So my invitation, in just a moment, we're going to have the, the we're going to go right into ministry right now. Is that what you're doing right now? Let's go. I love it. Oh, man. Can we stand up? Oh, dude. Where's your towel? Can I, can I give it to somebody as a gift? Just kidding. Dude, I mean, Acts 19, handkerchiefs were blessed, demons shrieked. You know what I'm saying? I mean, I'm just saying. I'm just saying. We're going to sell them 9.99. Uh, I'm just kidding. We don't believe in that, by the way. We don't believe in selling it. Can we open our hands? So grateful for the word. We, we believe in this church. When the word of God is preached, it always requires a response. You can allow the word to go in to your soul and produce, allow, allow God to produce a crop that will be 160, 30-fold, or you can just reject it, allow the enemy to reject it, or the deceitfulness of wealth and the worries of life will, will choke it out. This is from Jesus' teaching on the sower and the four different soils. So can we just wait on the Lord for a moment? Thanks for joining us. I hope you enjoyed this podcast. For more information, go to garden.church. God bless you.